as we begin, I want to ask you a question. What do you love doing to help you rest and relax? What do you love doing to help you rest and relax? Maybe just chat for a minute to the person next to you. What do you love doing? What helps you rest and relax during this time? What do you do to help you rest and relax? Anyone got anything that they do? Any tips? I'm looking for things that I might do. Yes, Miranda. You do reading. Yes, that's a good one. Anything else? Yes. Make some tea. Make some tea. As in a cup of tea or... Oh, yeah. Nice cup of tea. Yes. Food. Food helps us rest and relax. Yes. A long bike ride. Oh, that sounds quite tiring to me. But that Rest your brain. I know. Good. Yes. Listening to music with your feet up. Brilliant. Run. Swimming. Oh, a lot of exercise things coming in here. Yes. Eating. Oh, knitting. Oh, knitting. Excellent. Watch some anime. That's a... Thought it was a Japanese animated cartoon. Sounded like I knew what I was talking about. Anything else anyone does? Watch the sea. Oh, yeah, that's quite relaxing, isn't it? Fly Spitfires. Relaxing for those who know how to fly Spitfires. I guess scary for the rest of us. There's lots of things we do to rest and relax. And it's different for everyone because we're different people. Last week we started the service by saying that um, Jesus says to us, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And we've got lots of things that we might be looking forward to over the next few weeks. Um, But God wants to journey with us in those things. Not just to let us go off and do our, our merry little things and then come back to him, but to go with us and to give us that rest and relaxation as we enjoy the things that help us to do that. So as we gather, we're going to worship God this morning. We're going to come to him and offer him this time, but also these next few weeks which we have when maybe we're doing slightly different things to normal. So let's stand as we sing our first song together, Strength Will Rise. Let's stand together. The words will appear on the screen. Psalm 62 says, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God alone is our refuge. Let's continue in our worship. Just before the children and young people go to their groups, just a reminder that we have our August prayer diary up there on the board. There's still a few spaces I can see um, that if they're not filled in, we'll have my name on them. So please do write things down that you uh, would like people to pray for. It doesn't have to be connected with you. It doesn't have to be people that anyone knows. Um, You can just write someone's name and everyone can pray for them on that day. And also on this table over here... um, Following our prayer course, which we finished, we've got a few books on prayer and a few other books on um, spending different amount of time with God. 
if you wanted to follow on from the prayer course by reading something over the summer or in the next whenever you want to take the time to do that then do look at these here they do belong to people so don't take them away but you can write down the title when you've had a good flick through and uh, get one for yourself those are just examples of some of the things that you might like to look at so take a look after the service at those and see if there's anything you'd like to read well we finished our prayer course after well it's much longer than six weeks because we had other services in between but we finished our prayer course after six weeks last week Um, if you weren't able to be there for all of them you want to recap on some then um, you can go on the website um, prayercourse.org.uk I think but come and chat to me afterwards if you want to know more about that Um, into the summer we have different uh, types of services because we don't have any groups running after this week so next week we'll have a family service where we're all together we'll recap a bit on what we've done at holiday club for those of you who weren't able to be there and we'll also do some of our usual family service things and then following that we have services that are all age uh, which means they're not specifically family services not all all um, aimed at children and families and all of us but there's different elements for different people and the children can have packs that they can uh, fill in and look at during that time and then in September we begin again with um, our different types of services but this week we're going to be looking just briefly on this one week at the prophet Elijah don't know whether people know much about the prophet Elijah I really like the prophet Elijah Um, he was a prophet and uh, you'll find his story in the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. We'll be reading a little bit of it, well, Rob will, in a minute. Um, Elijah was a prophet who, of course, spoke the word of God and stood up against the kings and the powers of the time, which resulted in him telling people there would be a famine upon the land and then him being involved in that famine and not being able to find food, so going outside of um, Israel to find food from a widow who had nothing herself but miraculously God provided Um, and then there were the wonderful events that Elijah stood up against the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel which I'll talk about um, a few moments in a few moments time and then there were the events that Rob is about to come and read to us from 1 Kings chapter 19. The reading is from 1 Kings 19 starting at the first verse. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, He went while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head, was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. 
The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Malohola to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and who all whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Most of you um, were here when I had our first son James. So most of you will know the story of how his birth came about. James, of course, was born five weeks early um, on a Sunday, which is very inconvenient when you're a minister, um, because I was debating, you know, should I do the service? Surely I can do the service. I can't really let people down. Oh, no, yeah, no, can I do the service? But then in the end I decided maybe I shouldn't. And so a quick rush round to Steve's house to drop off all the information. Um, and then off to the hospital. Spending the day at the hospital and James was then born at 11.20 that evening. And of course he was premature, but he was fine, but five pounds and his lungs were a little bit underdeveloped because he wasn't really supposed to be out and so he got taken straight to intensive care and he spent about four days in intensive care and I was in hospital for three of those days and then out and then he had to be in special care for another two weeks 
And so we had trips in and out of hospital for those two weeks. And Simon and I had to spend a joyous two nights in hospital as well before we came home with James um, all together as a family. It was a bit of a funny, strange whirlwind of events of which many of you know, some of you know bits and pieces of it. Um, And it was a very odd time. But, you know, it was also wonderful because this great event had happened, albeit a little bit early, and it had happened in a strange and odd and very um, frightening way in some ways, but it was great. And we felt so happy to have this tiny little baby boy. Well, fast forward about three or four weeks, and after this wonderful, amazing event and these very excited parents, you would have found me at 3am in the morning, in the hallway at the top of our stairs, holding this five and a half pound child, weeping uncontrollably, saying things like, I can't go on. No one told me it would be this hard. I can't do this anymore. And you know, various phrases like that. To which Simon eventually got out of bed and um, took this little baby and said, Kate, please just go and have some sleep. Because, you know, after the amazing events of James's birth and after all that had gone on following that, the sleepless nights, the poor feeding, the all-consuming tiny bundle of joy, I suddenly found myself exhausted, unable to cope at the end of everything. And yes, you know, I had done something spectacular and slightly terrifying, and I'd come through it with flying colours. Everything had been okay. It had been amazing. But now, at that point, at 3am, I felt I had nothing more to give. I couldn't cope with no more sleep. I couldn't cope with any more crying. I couldn't cope with this little bundle that seemed to have a will of his own. I was purely and simply exhausted, and I wanted it to stop. And you know, I'm sure that there have been times when we've all been in that position, at the point where we just want everything to stop and it all to be okay. We can't bear it anymore. But the good thing is that if we find ourselves in that position, we can be sure that we're not alone. Because when we look at the passage in the book of 1 Kings about the feeding of Elijah, we find a similar story. Yes, we find the story of a prophet a long, long, long time ago, but we also find the story of someone who had faced amazing things and now found themselves exhausted. You see, just before we get to our passage today, Elijah has had all these exploits, which I briefly explained earlier, which have culminated in the events at Mount Carmel, where he had faced off against all the prophets of Baal, 450 people who were all against him, as well as 400 other prophets who worshipped other gods who had gathered as well, all against Elijah. And he had challenged them in front of all the Israelites to build an altar to their god. And then, when they had built an altar to their God, to call upon their God to set fire to this altar miraculously in front of everyone. This would prove the theory that Baal was greater than Almighty God, who the Israelites worshipped. 
And during this challenge, Elijah had taunted the prophets. He'd not only asked them to do this, he'd taunted them. He'd laughed at their God. He'd made jokes at their expense in front of everyone. And then having seen their failure when Baal didn't light the altar, of course, Elijah set up his own altar to Almighty God, the God of Israel. And he doused it with water three times. And then he called upon God to light it, at which point fire rained down, not only consuming the altar, but everything within that radius. And following this, the prophets of Baal were then all gathered together and killed. And Ahab the king had run to Jezebel to share this terrible news of what Elijah had done. And then immediately after these amazing events, immediately after this challenge at Mount Carmel, Elijah hears that Jezebel is not happy and actually his own life is in danger. And so he runs. He runs into the wilderness until he finds a broom bush, which may well have looked a little bit like the picture that hopefully will appear on the screen. And he sits down under it and he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Or to use my words at 3 a.m. on the landing that night, I can't go on. This is too hard. I can't cope. No one told me it would be like this. You see, after all that had gone before, after the amazing exploits of Mount Carmel, Elijah suddenly finds himself exhausted. Yes, he had done something spectacular, if not a little bit terrifying. And yes, he had come through it with flying colours, defeating hundreds of others. And yes, it had been amazing. But now, under that broom bush, he was done. He couldn't cope. He had nothing more to give. And when he found out his life was then in danger, he ran away. He cried out to God and he lay down and he fell asleep. And then, quite cruelly, it seems, from my perspective anyway, as a parent, as soon as he fell asleep, he was woken up. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So Elijah ate and drank and went back to sleep. And then he was woken up again and told to eat and drink again to give him strength so that he could make a longer journey into the wilderness, one that would last for 40 days and 40 nights. And on the surface, you know, this passage might seem a bit odd to be put in the Bible. Details of food and drink and sleep. Why do we need that? But, you know, there's something in me that really loves this passage. It's one of my favourite passages in the Bible, probably because I'm ever practical, you know, I like things to be just okay. But also because I think it's so real. You know, here is a person who is really exhausted, really, they want to die. They're so exhausted. They're at the end of everything. And the first thing God does for them is not offer words of advice or give them a vision or a dream or spiritual insight about their condition. Instead, he gives them food and he gives them water and he lets them rest. Or if you like, the first thing God does is to meet Elijah's basic needs so that he can have the strength to go on. You know, when I was a a moody teenager, uh, well, I don't know whether I was moody, on occasion, 
when I was moody. My mum used to say, you know, what you need, Kate, is a good night's sleep. After a good night's sleep, everything will be better. You'll feel better in the morning. I cannot tell you how much that used to annoy me as a teenager. I'm like, Mom, no, I've got this angst inside me. I need to delve in and discuss it and, you know, I need to do all this. But she said, just go to bed, Kate. In the morning, you'll feel fine. I have to say now that actually, nine times out of ten, my mum was correct. I was tired. I was exhausted. I didn't need to discuss all these things at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. I needed to go to bed and get up. It didn't solve my problems, but it helped me to get perspective on what I needed to do. Because, you know, sometimes when life isn't going well, it's partly because we're exhausted. Maybe we haven't slept well, or maybe we haven't eaten well, maybe we haven't drunk enough. Maybe we've been working too much, or we've eaten the wrong things, or we've ignored our bodies for too long. And so suddenly we just feel we can't cope, and life is all too much for us. I don't know whether any of you have ever been to the summer fair up at the primary school, happens every year and normally it's preceded by some massive family argument that we have and then we all go up, you know, in a complete mood, smiling at everyone. This year it wasn't, which was a success. But, um, you know, when we'd wandered around for a little while, we then said, oh, we've got to go now. And, well, then we had massive meltdowns by the two little ones, the older ones in our family. We could have done meltdowns as well, but inappropriate at the fair. And... Um, Simon said, oh, I'm just going to take Joshua because he's really tired. And James said, like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I haven't hardly looked at anything. And I thought, oh, he needs a bit more time. So I said, okay, well, we'll just go round the fair one more time and look at everything. And while we're walking round, I saw a lucky dip and I thought, oh, brilliant. So I gave him some money I said, let's go on the lucky dip. And we went over and the lady said, I'll give you a clue. These two are the best presents here. She said, one of them's a dinosaur egg and one of them's some green gloop. So James picked those out, dinosaur egg for Joshua, and he opened his, it was the green gloop. And he turned to me and he went, Mum, this is the best day ever. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't get that. But, you know, it made me think, you know, he just needed one little thing a little bit longer and then I said do you want to go now he's like yeah let's go it's fine and you know sometimes we just need that little something to get us to a more stable place not an in-depth look at our lives but that little something to help us sometimes we need to do what God did to Elijah we need to look after ourselves in the most basic and practical ways before we can then deal with other issues that might be going on in our lives. I don't know whether anyone was aware of the email that a lady called Madeline Parker sent to her team recently. It went viral, don't you know? Where she wrote an email and said, Hey team, I'm taking today and tomorrow to focus on my mental health. Hopefully I'll be back next week refreshed and 100%. And the reason that everyone started to know about this was because her boss wrote an email back to her 
that said, hey, Madeline, I just wanted to personally thank you for sending emails like this. Every time you do, I use it as a reminder of the importance of using sick days for mental health. I can't believe this is not standard practice at all organisations. You're an example to us all and help cut through the stigma so we can all bring our whole selves to work. And everyone was talking about this on social media. Why? Because it really isn't the norm for people to do that. It's not the norm for people to say, actually, I need a bit of time because I'm not coping at the moment. And I need to take time so that I can come back and be okay. And you know, sometimes this kind of care for ourselves and for others, but particularly for ourselves, is desperately needed. And the summer, this season, when generally our country slows down a little bit, things are a little bit calmer, the rigorous routine is dropped. It's a great time for us to look at our lives and take care of ourselves, whether it be to eat well or to sleep well or to enjoy things rather than thinking about all that we've got to do or to put things in place that will then help our lives to be a bit better when we come back to the business. So then we can carry on living in a better way when things are more busy. But of course, that's not the only thing that God did here in this passage. That's not the only need that God met. Because having fed Elijah and having watered him and having allowed him to rest, God called him further into the desert, to the mountain of Horeb, the mountain of God, the place where in Israel tradition God was known to appear. Um, And when he got there, after Elijah had been given more sleep, God comes up to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Which at first might seem a bit of an odd question to ask, having given the fact that God had called Elijah out into the wilderness in the first place. But in reality, it's actually a really good question. Because having been fed and watered and looked after, God now says to Elijah, what is it that you want? What is the problem that you are running from? What is the angst that is going on inside of you? And Elijah, being a prophet, and not backward in coming forward, well, he just says to God, well, your people have deserted you. Your prophets are dead. I'm the only one left. And now they want to kill me too. And on hearing this, instead of offering advice, God decides it's time to appear to Elijah. So he tells Elijah to stand on the mountain, which might have looked a little bit like this, if we could... So it's quite a big mountain. He tells him to go and stand on the mountain. That's Mount Horeb there. And then there is a great wind that comes around. And there's a great earthquake that takes place. And there's a great fire that descends. Amazing phenomenon that almost always accompany the appearance of God before a gentle whisper is heard. And God asks again, what do you want Elijah, what is the problem? And Elijah, having stood on that mountain and seen these amazing events of God, having witnessed the terrifying earthquake and the fire and the violent wind and then heard the gentle whisper, says, well, your people have deserted you. Your prophets are dead. I'm the only one left and now they want to kill me too. Or in other words, words more familiar to me, everything's rubbish says Elijah. 
and I don't know what to do. And so having fed and watered and rested and then appeared to Elijah, God in his grace then tells him exactly what to do. And he sends him back again with purpose to the life that he was called to live. You see, having fed and watered and looked after Elijah and having drawn him away from all that caused him distress, God then gave him a new experience of his presence and a plan to move forward. He refocused his life so that when he appeared out of the wilderness, the next chapter of his life, he was no longer exhausted and unable to see a way through. Instead, he was refreshed and ready to live life with purpose. He went on to commission Elisha and then all the things that happened after that. And you know, if we want to live lives committed to God long term, this is what we need too. Not only do we need to be fed and watered and rested, but also every now and again we need to step away from those things that cause us pressure and stress so that we can experience God in a new way and allow him to refocus our lives so that we can learn not only how to survive life, but how to live it with purpose and meaning. And you know, I don't think this kind of refreshment can always happen when we're busy, when we're rushing from one thing to the next. I don't think it can always happen when we're in our well-worn routines, when we're right up against the problem that is distressing us, or when we're doing life as we have always done it. Just like this couldn't have happened if Elijah had just carried on after Mount Carmel, trying his best. He had to take time out, and he had to meet his needs. And, you know, I think the next six or so weeks gives us an opportunity to do this too in ways that we can't normally. We may or may not be exhausted. I don't know how we feel. We may or may not be in need of a break. We may or may not be looking forward to the holidays, depending on our stage of life and how we see it. But however we see it, this season is an opportunity to take time for ourselves and also to create real time for God. So that when he asks us the question, what are you doing here? We don't simply push it aside because we've got so many other things to do. Instead, we lay it all out to him. We tell God the honest truth, and then we allow him to do what he wants to do in the timing that he wants to do it. So that when we come back together, after our various experiences and exploits, we can come back not only as people who are simply living life, but as refreshed people who want to live life with a purpose. How we do all this, of course, is up to us. Some of us will do it in different ways to others. Some of us will sit quietly and read and meditate a bit. Others of us will go for long walks or cycle rides or whatever it might be. But I hope that we can take this opportunity that is held out to us and be kind to ourselves. And I hope that when we do, that God in his grace will do amazing things in our lives too. Let's just take a moment to pause as we think about all the was in that passage. There's so much to think about in there. And you've also got a card on it 
which in my very small writing I realise, because even I can't see it, it says, summer 2017, to make the most of this season, I will. Sometimes I find it helpful to jot a few things down, not necessarily now, but in the quiet maybe we could think about some of the things we can do to create that space, to change that routine, to help us to feel a bit more as we should. And we might want to take the card with us and write some things down. Or it might just be something to help us in this time now. So let's have a few moments of quiet as we think about what's coming up and how we can make the most of this time. So as we go from here, some of us to holidays and excitement, some of us to usual lives, some of us to busyness of Holiday Club. May we know that God walks with us. May we know that Jesus surrounds us. And may we spend this time in the best way we can to know the power of God and to find his purpose. And may God bless us and keep us and walk with us. Amen. Please be seated.